up, everybody? Welcome to Suiting Up with me, Paul Rabel. We've got a special guest in our New York City studios here on the Upper West Side. His name is Miles Chamley Watson. Who's Miles? He's a four-time NCAA and two-time national champion fencer, two-time World Cup champion, fourth at the 2012 Olympics, and more recently, bronze at the 2016s. He's the first American to have won the individual senior world championships. He's currently number nine in the world and number three in the USA. Stereotypically, he doesn't fit into what we size up as your typical fencer. He, he could have played receiver in the NFL. And we're gonna dive into other topics such as his career, fencing and modeling. Yes, he is a very successful model. The way he trains, which is sometimes up to eight hours a day, and the way he processes psychology around that type of training. We go into personal branding, dive specifically under the fencing helmet, looking at the right platforms that he uses and leveraging his network, which I found out includes a lot of A-list celebrities like Questlove, Adriana Lima, Akon, Rick Ross, certainly has a ton of flair, all of which we talk about from his blonde hair through all his tattoos. We learn about how he structures sponsorships, where he's getting his revenue and what a fencing purse looks like. Like many athlete to athlete conversations that I have, you can trust that there's no guard up, which is great. And I'm really pleased with how open Miles was and candid around conversations with mental psyche, how he takes on losses, and what makes him happy. Enjoy the show. We often find out a lot about someone by the apps on their home screen. Mm -hmm. we're, we're hitting that hundreds of times a day. And we often prioritize the apps that we're visiting most frequently. Yeah. So what's on your home screen? Instagram, Facebook page, Twitter, Dropbox. That's it. Besides and there's all, more. Besides so all the other apps. <laughs> no, besides all the ones that come with it. You got, you know, iTunes. But ones that I've downloaded is Dropbox, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Because a lot of what I do to promote myself is through social media, which is really important to grow my brand. So those things I have to look at constantly. I don't necessarily want to. But then it's really important for me yeah. as a brand. But you know, it is has its perks. Well, yeah, well, we share Dropbox. And I think what's interesting about that, because I have Dropbox and Google Drive on my home screen, mm. is that a lot of that is geared towards business. And so what are you uploading into Dropbox so frequently that it is on your home screen? A lot of shoots that I do, a lot of important documents that I have, a lot of crazy like, you know, because I, you're a model. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that didn't come out in the beginning of like, who is my family? <laughs> it did, but it kind of just fell into me perfectly. You know, I think yeah. my sport is considered a very sexy sport. And I think after the last Olympics, the kind of people are like, oh, wow, this guy's a lot different than we thought. So let's kind of see what he has. And then a lot of brands love to work with me. And I've shot a bunch of good campaigns. I think it goes hand in hand with my sport. Yeah. Which uh, I think you, you've made sexy. Right, you've talked about specifically being a new face to an old sport. Yeah. And is that primarily because you're so good on camera or is that a lot of it manufactured or a little bit of both, innate? I think it's both because I think fencing generally, if you take away everything, I think the outfit is very sexy, right? So even though we're all covered, I think when you take off the mask, let's put a, a face to the sport, which is very predominantly covered. So yeah. we don't really know who's under that mask. So for me, it's like, wow, now, you know, you know my last name and you, know, you don't see any of my tattoos covered, but I think my flair and the way I, I my kind of unconventional way of fencing is kind of what draws me to a lot of people. Yeah. I don't want to just be in the fencing world. I want to be in the whole athletic world. So when people would be like, wow, this is a good athlete, not just this is a good fencer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, There's a disadvantage to being in a helmet sport. I, I'm in one in lacrosse. Yeah. Versus soccer and basketball. And football has its disadvantages and why quarterbacks are often the most promoted and most visible people because they're front and center in press conferences post-game. Yeah. But I would guess that for you, combining your modeling career with fencing, which I would say from a helmet sport standpoint, there's no other sport that kind of encompasses or closes in mm -hmm. who you are, who your face is. Exactly. And, then and, like, and a lot of people don't know that you're like a, a very non-traditional fencer. You're six foot four. Yeah. You're black, you have blonde hair, <laughs> you have tattoos all over your body. Yeah. What's a traditional fencer, like stereotypical fencer look like? It's kind of predominantly Caucasian. It's kind of skinnier, frill, shorter size than me. Short. Kind of shorter, for sure. I'd say under 5'8", generally. Kind of... That's really short. Shy, exactly. We're both very tall. So kind of shy, very classical, you know, traditional, hand up high, let's just, you know, be like classical fencing. For me, it's different. 
I want to be crazy. I want to hit you between my legs. Do a lot of because for me, the sport is so beautiful. Yet people stay in these barriers of just keeping it the same, as opposed to let's just try and push the boundaries and try something new. Yeah. So you have people who love it. You have people who want to keep it the same. That comes with just you know the territory of just being different. Do you think that's more of your creative spirit of like wanting to be different and and express your style and play because that's how you feel? Or do you think that that's actually gives you an athletic advantage during competition to play differently? Because I, I think there are people who play differently because yeah. they want to play differently mm-hmm. and, and they potentially sell to, to sponsors and partners because of their style. But does it actually give you an advantage? Yeah, I think for me it is because you can't really prepare for how I am because that's so like I'm very feeling, so you can't yeah. really prepare someone who's feeling. You know, majority, the cool thing about fencing is it's a mix between boxing and chess. Mm-hmm. In terms of it's very mental, yeah, it's very physical, it's very quick, so there's a lot of rounds. So people are very traditional women, okay, I know what he's gonna do. If I do this, he's gonna react this way. But for me, it's like, oh, what's he gonna do? Yeah, look, it is crazy, it's great to watch, but it's very beneficial to me because it helps. I have that edge because no one really knows how to prepare for me. Yeah, we're going to get into the professional fencing circuit, but you bring up a good point. I wonder, is there scouting reports? Like, how important is scouting in fencing? It's very important. So we have yeah. a good And you're video. unscoutable because you're so unique. Well, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> not to be cocky, but, like, you can't really say Miles does this, Miles does that. Because right. I do so many different crazy things. And for me, I surprise myself sometimes, honestly. So we have a lot of video. Guys from the USOC will send us a thing called Dartfish, and if you know that thing, mm-hmm. where you can... Yep. Type in someone's name, you can kind of find out video on them, watch video on them. For me, I'd rather watch a video on myself to see where I went wrong as opposed to watch video on my opponents. Yeah. So that's the difference between me and everybody else. It's an interesting psychology in sports where you often hear coaches say this cliche that like it's more about us yeah. than it is about them. Mm-hmm. And, and finding that balance is really important. I imagine in the Olympics, yes. you probably put more emphasis on scout of your opponent than the the regular run of circuit where you may be facing a, a number of opponents over a weekend. Yeah. And that comes down to also just at the Olympics, you put so much pressure on yourself as opposed to it really is technically easier than any competition. The field is smaller, stronger, but it's cutthroat. So you win, you keep going. If you lose, you're done. So yeah. it's a smaller field, yet we put so much pressure on ourselves, which is like coach will say, Miles, let's watch the video. I'm like, why? Why change my routine just because it's the Olympics? Yeah. yeah. So, but scouting is pretty important in the sport, I think, for a certain level. But then once you reach a certain level, I think you can just kind of watch video on yourself. Yeah. At least that's what I do. Yeah. I, th- I think we both come from unique perspectives of playing these alternative niche sports. Yours is an individual minds team, although you can score on teams in fencing, much like swimming. Yeah, exactly. Um, from London is, is where you picked up the sport the first time. And I read that that it was primarily because of you were getting trouble in school and you picked it up as an after school program. Yeah, exactly. So actually, so I moved from London to New York City when I was nine years old, right? Mm-hmm. I was playing soccer really seriously. That's kind of the biggest sport in London. And I was playing it really seriously, a big Arsenal fan. Um, and I moved to Go New Blues. York. Sorry? I'm a Chelsea fan. Oh, my God. This is going to go left now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was always getting in trouble. I was a kid who, like, from London, you couldn't tell me anything. I was, like, talking to that class. I was a kid who teachers loved, but they hated to have him in this class. You know, I would just never shut up. I was making everybody laugh. And then, like, Did Miles, you get detention for that? So yeah, I, like I got suspended. I got detention. guy. All the time. But I was just, no one could get anything done in my class. So, yeah. like, Miles, seriously, you know, now you have to stay after school. So, from 3 p.m. to 4.30 I would stay after school and I had to pick up an extracurricular activity. So it was like badminton, tennis, fencing. I was like, you know what? Every little kid likes a sword. Let's pick it up and let's have fun with it. Yeah. I called it a sword back then. And I was like, you know, this is cool. I was like, oh, Miles, you're pretty good at it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's fencing. Come on. And then I entered a few competitions, a few nationals, a few regional ones, just for fun. Three months into it, ended up winning those. I was like, hmm, not bad. Winning's fun. Hmm. And then um, I was like, you know, let's enter the Junior Olympics. Wow. In Cleveland, really quickly. And then I won that. I was like, okay, now I got a serious, I think I'm actually pretty good at this. So it kind of just turned into getting into trouble, which turned into me finding a sport, which turned into me actually becoming a better student because I found a sport. Not really thinking it was going to help me, but it ultimately, you know, I was super ADHD. I couldn't sit still. Yeah. And that kind of sport helped me find something 
and uh, I didn't think it would be taking me this far, you know? Well, let's go back into kind of wealth and, and happiness and, or mm-hmm. wealth and fulfillment because I think that it's important to understand our motives behind generating income and like, what is that for? I, I don't believe that money brings happiness, but I do believe in generating a, a, a level of wealth such that your living, your travel, and your nutrition yeah. and training, I should say, can be taken care of without having to think about it and mm-hmm. at a really premium level. Like I want to be able to go wake up in a bed that had given me a, a full night's rest. Yes. Be able to go to the best gym with the best instructor and not have to worry about paying him on an, on an hourly basis. Exactly. And so on and so forth. And that's what I look at, like generating wealth. What's your take on everything that you have going on, the travel and the competitions mm-hmm. and, and the money that's coming in, the money that's going out? Like what makes you happy? I think for me, it's it's people saying, first off, I love when people say, wow, you're not what we expected. Yeah, me too. Secondly, I love seeing me put fencing in a, in a light that's never been seen before. That's my second thing. Seeing, oh my God, this is what a fencer is. So fencer, and I love breaking down the barriers where we go, oh my God, wow, like, let's work out with Miles and think, oh, do fencers even work out? You know, people ask me that too, and I'm like... <laughs> Really? Yeah. But it's, that's honestly, if, you, if I had to see it from their point of view, it's a very valid question. Yeah. You push training a lot. And for me- You say that nothing gets in the way of training. Nothing. I can be out, say, per se, celebrating with my friends, whatever. We have a long night, 5 a.m. training, I'm there, 110%. Is nothing your night so. taking you to 4 a.m.? 4.30. <laughs> you never know. But for me, that's what's different about me is I've always been someone who never gave excuses. If I lost, I lost. It's not like, well, the referee, no, I lost. Mm-hmm. So for me- that's one thing that I've always been, my mom can tell you that too. She would make more excuses for me than I would because what's the point of making an excuse? It doesn't matter. You know, loss is loss. So for me, anytime we have like a barrier, I will always break it down. Is your training, would you say that is your core asset as it relates to performance? Mm-hmm. And, and with that, you've gone as far as saying like some days you're spending eight hours training. Yeah. How do you even get to eight hours in training? So for me, it starts from, I go to the gym at 6 a.m., okay? So from that, from 6 a.m. to 7.45, we're doing, depending on the day, weights, plyometrics, body weights, whatever that is. Then I go there and I go to physical therapy. From there, I go fencing. So Mm -hmm. that might entail me just doing footwork for two hours. Yeah. Not even pick up a fencing sword, just footwork, drills, target practice. That could be an error from three hours. Right there, that's almost five hours right then. Is there a reason why your sequence is, is kind of lifting metabolic into fencing last versus maybe fencing first and the training afterwards? Yeah, actually, good point. I've always liked to wake up. I always like to sweat early in the morning. I don't know why. I've always liked yeah. to work out in the morning. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's I love waking up even when it's dark out and get that sweat in. For me, that starts my day off. I don't think there's a real reason why. I just always started my day well, I think that. that's really important, man. As much as we talked about scouting and uh, looking within as, as a result or, or as a way to encourage winning, a lot of what makes athletes, particularly at a, at a premium level, unique is that you're going off a of feel and gut. Exactly. And, and you can have all of the wearables in the world, which I want to ask you about, and all the analytics, and you can measure someone's heart rate and their body temperature, and you can say, hey, coach, this guy's not ready for the second half but you can't measure an athlete's heart. You can't. Or in this case, like what works for miles? And if that means like an earlier start and knocking it out, and that works for you, Yeah. right? That works for you. So my coach doesn't really wake up before like 12. You know, he's rushing, yeah. he's, I don't know what he's doing. I, I, <laughs> but for me, it's like, and also it's like some days I'm very different. So I train, some days I won't even fence. I'll just work out all day. I'll box, I'll do something different because I like to find different ways to push myself. Yeah. So. Another good thing that Blake Griffin did where he did the crossover with sports. Yep. I love to do different sports for me. Like, I box, but there's such a similar parallel between footwork timing where mm-hmm. before the World Championships, I didn't fence. This is not a good example, but I didn't fence for a month and a half. Just straight boxed. Yeah. And I won the competition. I killed everyone. Do you believe in that? I've, I, That's, well, it sounds like you do, but, like, let me ask a, a clearer question yeah. that, like, when you reach professional sports, when you reach a level of, of excellence, which usually happens several years after you're drafted, yeah. and call it you've reached you know all pro status, won championships, do you believe in scaling? Actually, not a necessity, but sometimes you can scale back your actual repetitions on field. And, and sometimes it is a necessity if you're pounding the pavement so much because you only have so much in, left in the tank mm-hmm. uh, if you're looking to play into your 30s. 
how much do you need to continue to hone in on technique, which I imagine early on, that's all you were doing. Yeah. And, and more turning into just mindfulness. I think there's a certain level which you reach, I would say. And then physically, I'd say, and then your mind can take you to a different level. Yeah. So for me, it's some people get better with age. Yeah. Some people get, you know, some people peak too early. So for me, it's finding what's good for me. So I kind of started writing down things now. So every competition, I write down everything I do. So I'll be like, I get on the airplane, I ate this, I did this, to kind of see what worked best for me. Yeah. Because I've had times where you're nervous, you have a beer before you compete, and you win the competition. It's like just certain ways to kind of find the right juju, per se. So so what are you doing with all that proprietary data? I want to take a look at it. keeping it. Of, Honestly, it's great it. to, it's kind of weird because I never really wrote down things. I'm like, shoot, I wish I kind of did. So yeah. now I'm like writing anything to what I ate to my opponents to how I was feeling in the morning. So I think I eventually looked to turn it into, into a book, you know, what makes Nathy tick or whatever, just finding yeah. ways to kind of, because everyone's different. The diaries of Miles Chandler. Exactly. There's a blueprint for what children athletes should be doing. Now, but do you go back and look and say, like, hey, I didn't perform well and I yeah. ate this and that? Are you that hypercritical? Or, or you say, like, hey, I won this circuit and I actually didn't fence for a month and a half leading up to it. So I'm going to keep doing that. Like, how do you decipher the discrepancies? I think it comes down to honestly just saying F everything and however you feel in that morning, yeah. do it. There's no right thing to do. If I want to eat in the morning, I'm going to eat in the morning. It's kind of so for me. That's when I realized. Yeah, it's ninety percent mental. Hang. It's in my head, literally in my head. So, are you doing a lot of sports psychology training? Do you do that at all? Do you look at it as voodoo? Do you meditate? Actually, for me, I haven't found someone who's who's really been able to understand me. Yeah, we have someone from the USOC, Karen Kogan, who's great, lovely. But it's like I don't know if you really understand because my head is so crazy. Yeah, I don't know if you understand. Me. So I haven't done much for physical or um, mental preparation. When you say your your head is so crazy, you're probably – I know you're a really cerebral guy. Yeah. And there's a high level of introspection. For sure. Do you think that adds a lot of stress to your day because you're just so critical of what you're doing and overanalyzing every f- step? For sure. Um, that goes down to, I think, which I started doing was breathing. It's a form of meditation. Exactly. That's the only thing that I think worked when I worked with Iceman, Wim Hof, at, at the Rebel Camp. Because, I mean, we're so stressed out. It's like we want to be the best. We want to be the first mm-hmm. person to do this. You don't realize how stressed you are. I don't ever think I get stressed, but I think I, I am. Probably feel it, yeah. You know, and I don't want to ever say I'm stressed because I just you know, I don't want to complain or whatever. But I think the breathing or finding 10 minutes out of your day for just you is important. Yeah. I've seen several highlights and, and watched your, um, your GoPro video as well. Mm. And I think a secondary emotion could be stress that comes from stress mm. is oftentimes anger yeah. and temper. And, and it's something that I've battled with and still battle with regularly on the field. You've shown instances yeah. where like lose a match, explode. Yeah. Is that something that you embrace as like, this is what makes me hungry or like, this is something that I maybe should fix. Both. I mean, there's a way of doing it without looking like the bad guy, you know? But then it's like, you can't control your emotions and some people are like, let them go. I'm like, well, I just did and I got a red card, you know? Right. But, <laughs> okay. Um, Letting go, meaning like, I let the emotions out. Versus yeah. <laughs> like, literally, I've just been like, versus not show them. <laughs> dude, I've been ripping the like referee apart and like, I'm just like, I'm so passionate about my sport, but you have to do it the right way. You can't just be like, I've had times where I'm like, Miles, you can't do this. You can't just, you can't do this. Like, come on. Well, here's another dynamic question, right? And, and I think that I go back and forth on it fairly regularly. And I've certainly have changed towards the more recent stage of my professional career. But athletes always get the question, do you fear losing more than you enjoy winning? Or they'd say, why do you play this game? To win or not to lose? Yeah, those questions are so cliche, but they're so hard the, to really... Yeah. Because... I'm interested in the way you think through it. For me, I think... I wouldn't say I fear losing. Because you can't fear... If you prepare, you can't prepare to, to fail. Like, people are like, mm-hmm. oh, if I train, like, what if? Like, I, I always change my what ifs into what's next. And I take the word can't out of my vocabulary. So... I don't fear anything, really. So I think I want to win more than anyone else. Yeah. 
I love that, man. Ta- taking the word can't out of your vocabulary. And I, whenever I speak to little kids, I say the first thing is this. Take can't out of your vocabulary. Take it out. Because, and the what ifs suck. Right? Because what if? Well, you hear that all the time, right? Yeah. Like, what if, I, what if someone's training right now while you're sleeping? Or there's probably someone that's coming up that's working harder than you. And that's a what if. And then, it's and then like, you're training out of fear. Exactly. And it's like you have these times where I'll see the, like, the, the tableau and I'll be like, and for us, if you're number one in the world, you, you can get flipped. So you'd be number two in the world for the competition. And I'm like, oh, like, what if I got flipped? I'm like, well, you didn't get flipped. So why are you thinking about what if? So like a sports idol of mine growing up was Larry Bird. Oh, yeah. And he so often said that he just despises losing so much, just constantly on his mind. And that was the way that I modeled myself too because the reality is is that our emotions are real. We're human. Mm-hmm. And that when you lose, it fucking sucks. Yes. It's terrible. And, and, and you spend more time analyzing that loss, why it happened. And when you win, it's kind of par for the course. I was expecting that because I put it in all the work. Exactly. So emotionally, it definitely is slanted. But if you spend more time thinking about not losing it corrodes the longevity of your career. Mm-hmm. And again, God bless him, he's an idol of yeah. mine. And and I wasn't on the training staff, but I know that the back half of his career was just like filled with injuries, particularly in his back. Yeah. And I'd be curious to talk with him at some point more about that, but I really feel strongly, and I've spent a lot of time on the sports psychology and meditative side of like enjoying the good moments and winning and pursuing winning less. Yeah. You know, looking at the, the the result of losing or the fear and the pressures associated with it. So it's great because then another one of my idols was Kobe Bryant, right? So his mentality was, I, w- I think it was him where he said, the best athletes have the shortest memory. Yep. Where you say you win, great. You lose, great. Yep. You know how hard that is to, to, to lose and say, F it? Yeah. So for me, that's something like I want to kind of model my career off a little bit where like when I'm done, then you can soak it all in like, wow. But when you're in the moment, you win, okay, great, forget about it. If you lose, forget about it. Because it's so hard to lose and be like, yeah, you know what, it's fine. But if you can take that stress off of your head and say, yeah, you know what, it's done, find something positive out of you losing, then you've won, my friend. If you can find something positive out of losing every time, that's so hard to be able to just lose and be like, it's fine, I'll get him next time. Yeah. You talk about Kobe. You've also talked about David Beckham a lot. Yeah as someone that you model yourself off of. Yeah. I mean, certainly from the flair side, I see that. I think the way he's kind of modeled his career, people might say he's not, he wasn't the best ever, but I, I don't know many people that... Depends how you define a success. Exactly. For me, he's the really most successful person I've ever met or seen in my life. Yeah. But you say you take, you know, obviously his goal against England, putting them in, you know, that was like the most iconic goal. He was known for... Bennett, like, Beckham's cross, you know? Right. So right there, I think, I have been in my own move. He's got his. Then you say, okay, he's everyone. He's a brand. But I don't know many people that that, that hate him. Yeah. Like, I don't know anyone that can say, man, I don't like David Beckham. Because why? Right. Which is really difficult place to get to. It's almost very – and then you see him on the field. He's very passionate. You know, people's faces. But – Almost think, an anomaly, if you think right? about it's, it. It's – I don't know anyone, anyone that's like – I don't like David Beckham because. So are are you are you looking to because because the difference, but then between you us you could say and him is is that he's built a brand off the platform of the largest sport in the world, where the exposures is in front of us on a regular basis on all screens, mm-hmm. and finding success. Obviously, we could probably spend hours talking about the way we would each uniquely define it. Being liked by everyone is really choppy waters to kind of live through. Is that something that you look at? Like how direct, you know, can we get on like, is, is Miles looking at being the influencer for upcoming fencers? Or are you looking to, you know, break off into the mainstream sports market? I know you've done a lot of that already. Like what does success look like for you? I think success for me is making fencing a mainstream sport. So we don't have the platform like, like they do. Yeah. If, if we were on TV, I guarantee you we would be just like them. Same thing with you. But we're not, we, don't, we don't have that platform. Yeah. So we're, we're already at a disadvantage. So for me, number one would be to make fencing more mainstream. If you have bowling on ESPN, I don't see why you can't have fencing on ESPN. So do you think, though, that 
traditional networks, yeah. while it certainly will help, I wouldn't say that's realistic. And we're also in a world where that's the thing we're going on to all screens. Like media is being consumed through live streaming, through different forms of distribution. It's more cost effective. Yeah, you're in front of the kids now. The Gen Zs and Millennials, they're on their 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 mobile devices more, and screens are kind of ubiquitous. So for me, it's just more make the sport more visible and kind of open the eyes to more people. But then it's like, yeah, I'm Miles, but what's to say like there's not, there won't be an, like another Miles, you know? So I'm going to be honest, I don't think there's going to be many people like me in the sport. But if there's one person like me who can kind of kick down the doors so the kid's younger, then have to deal with the things I'm dealing with. But I think just kind of educate people on like the sports, you know? Yeah. Well, and from a resources and barrier standpoint, how are you kicking the doors down? Like, are you doing clinics? Are you yeah. supporting kind of urban development? So for me, that's what I'm getting to now. Because yeah. obviously these last years I was preparing for the Olympics for much time. I think educating the youth, going to, you know, I think that's important to kind of implant the, the kids young. Is that through them. social? Or are social, you getting in the community? You know, I'll, sometimes I'm, I'm going to do this thing where I surprise kids now, where I just go to schools and it's awesome. go in the principal's office and say, hey, whatever. Because that's cool. Let's and all they, defense and we meet in the gym. Right, exactly. Because people say, wow, like, oh, we have a fencer coming and I'm like, okay, and, and, and then I show up. I'm like, listen, I think it's cool when kids will say, they'll hit me up saying, man, like, you're doing this for me. Like, you're making me so happy. Like, kids will make fun of me at school. And then and I show them a picture of you and they're like, whoa. And I'm like, that's what I want. I want kids to, to be able to open their minds to say, wow, like, I don't care what this guy's doing, what he's doing. Like, yeah. I'm going to be a fencer. Yeah. Well, you got a degree in sports management. Yeah. Has that helped? You lean back on that? You, would, you, would you ever see a word where you go back to school? How much from a, call it like a commissioner's role, do you see even beyond your playing career, more specifically from a business perspective, are you always going to be in this sport, seeing its growth? The thing is, I think I, that's my duty. I think I have to. Yeah. help the sport because I think I'm one of the people who can really push the sport. But then it goes on to uh, so many things I would like to do with not just fencing, with niche sports. Mm -hmm. And I see an opportunity for people like us to, to build a brand with this. Imagine if I had that platform. I would be, you know? So yeah. I think people kind of need help with niche sports. So and I, mean, I found a way to, to make myself a brand. So I'm mean, getting there, but make myself a brand through... A new sport. So what's to say I can't do it with, you know, other kids or other yeah. sports? Was there a moment where you realized, like, wow, I'm a personal brand right now? Is that as early as before Penn State, after your first sign on the dotted line with, with the sponsor? Yeah, I think probably, um, honestly, like, I always knew when I was young, like, I could make the sport big. And people said, no, no you can't. I, the, amount, the amount of people that tell me I couldn't. But I always knew that. I always knew that since I was young. And now I was like, I think when I first signed maybe to Red Bull or, or to Nike, I was like, whoa. This is it? Okay. Yeah. Like, you have the two of the biggest brands in the world that have your back. What more do you need? Well, right? I've, watched your, I've watched your social media grow by 10x since we've known each other. Yeah. And it's like, I think that is so important because take the next person in fencing who's got maybe a thousand, you know? And yeah. it's like- Followers. Yeah. Yeah. And- I'm trying to, to open the doors to people who see fencing with my social following where that's kind of the base to a lot of people that want to want to work with you. Now, you're in a really unique position because you do have sponsorship revenue coming in the door. Yeah. And largely that has to do with, in modern day sports culture, your social influence, which you've now fully incubated and are continuing to grow. Do you look at that platform as a way to tell the story of, of Miles Chanley Watson, or this is a platform that's now gonna generate more revenue for me. They don't have to be mutually exclusive either. They can, yeah. You can say both. Yeah, I think it is both though. Yeah. Because I think generally in order for me to help the sport, I have to be making income as well. So, but I have a platform which people will see me and what I'm doing with the sport and hopefully get more kids involved. But I think that platform needs to continue to grow. What is your choice of social platform and why? My biggest is obviously Instagram, but it's great. They're all so different. So for me, it's like you take Facebook is so big for fencing because a lot of people, hmm. parents, younger kids will go on their parents' 
Facebook and see me. So for yeah. me, I post a lot of fencing stuff on that channel. Twitter, I love to talk to people. I love engaging. Yeah. So I can ask them the most crazy questions and they'll respond to me right away. And then Instagram, I think, is all my followers from little kids to athletes to models to people here to people there. I think my Instagram, people that follow me, is probably one of the widest range of people. Yeah, I would I, agree with that. Let's talk you know? about that network. <laughs> I've seen you with Adriana Lima, Rick Ross, Meek Mill, Akon. <laughs> I was at an event with you that, that Questlove hosted and DJed, and here he is doing the Golden Globes. Like, but those are meaningful relationships, right? They're not like, hey, I'm going to position you, Paul, at this event. You're going to be at the Super Bowl party standing next to so-and-so, and yeah. I don't really connect with that person. And it's funny because I've kept in contact with almost all of them. Yeah. Adriana's a great friend, and it's like – I bet. <laughs> and then it's like Questlove. <laughs> you know, it's like one thing about me, I think every time I meet someone – I can connect with you. So yeah. it's like, I will always remember you. So good. So you're almost as wide as your followers. Exactly. Right? So great thing too about the gym I go to too, is there's a lot of people that you meet at the gym. I worked out with Giancarlo Stanton, the, the, the baseball player. Mm-hmm. I was in Miami f- for New Year's. I turn around I, mean, I get tap on, the, tap, on, tap on the back. It's like, Miles, dude, come here. And I'm like, what? You know, it's yeah. like, I met him for an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get a connection with someone. So I think that's a gift of mine too where I'm able to connect with so many different people in so many different worlds that they respect me beyond just my sport. Yeah, and, and I'm going to push you here because I know that that connection is meaningful and that's the basis of it. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about kind of like the ROI on that on that relationship as it relates to maybe amplifying the sport? Have you talked with them about using their platforms to amplify fencing? Or is there like a potential business opportunity and a collaboration, like one that you did with Questlove at an event between your sponsors? Yeah, I think first is obviously meeting them and you don't walk up to them and say, hey, listen, I need your following. Yeah, no way. But if I can connect with you, you connect with me, I think that will just happen organically. And I think they would be, if they're friends with me, I think they would be open to helping me out because they see the potential and they see what I'm doing with the sport. So I think... You just respect each other. So right. 100%, I think. And there's things that I think I'm going to work with people, brands, to people, to just show that, wow, like, I'm not just asking you. I'm not actually friends with this person. I think the collaboration is next because you need, you know, it sucks to ask for help, but I think you do need yeah. help from people to get at that level because they have just an easier lane because they're seen in movies well, and this and that and yeah. whatever. I think it feels vulnerable to ask for help and it's difficult to sit with that emotion Mm -hmm. but i think that you're very good at that you and i have sat down and and have both asked each other for help and i think part of this is 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 going to tailor back to social but one strategy that i notice you deploy is is this creating a legacy yeah moment and I know you and I went long on that a couple of years ago. Not on that one. I was pitching you on Milestone. I remember we were sitting at the <laughs> I was like, you got to go long on Milestone. <laughs> no, but that was, no, but that's something I got to get back to as well. But no, I don't think so. I think what you got is great. But, you know, it's so catchy. Yeah. Yet, my slogan, so I was on the airplane flying to Korea, right? And I was just on the plane. I was having a beer, you know, on the airplane. First I think, class, I see that. Yeah, you time. know, so many miles. Shout out to United. <laughs> and I was sitting on the airplane just thinking about, you know, just finished college, what I want to do with my career, what I want to, you know, do, because that's the question that we all have to, to answer. And I'm like, you know, I want to create a legacy. And I was like, I don't really want to be here just for the present, just for the moment. I was like, wait. And I was like, yeah. So I wrote it down, create a legacy, not a moment. And I just started re- reiterating that to everybody because that's not just people that are an athlete, people that are, if you want to be a lawyer, you want to be the best lawyer that has ever been. So when you're done, people say, wow, this guy was, a legend. It wasn't here just for the moment. So for me, I think this is such a strong, just a slogan for everyone. I would agree with that. What's impressive to me, though, is, is that you've gotten it to stick. Yeah. And that's really challenging in social media because it, we're just cluttered with hashtags across our feed on a yeah. regular basis. So what would you relate to me as like, hey, hey, Paul, this is how you do it? Because I got okay, it. I got it. Loads of hashtags. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but like, and that's not good, right? So how is it consistency? Is it, you know, relatability? Is it? I think it's consistency and most importantly, relatability. So if you have a hashtag, I was like, I don't know, be great. You got to tell people, what does create legacy not a moment mean? It means you want to be recognized for when it sucks, but for when you're done or when you're, you're dead. 
I want to be like, wow, Miles created the legacy, and now it's going to keep on for generations and generations. So to knock down doors, which you clearly have, you are the meaning of the slogan. Honestly, it's <laughs> incredible what you've done for the sport because when I think of a cross, you're the first person that I think of, honestly. Yeah. And same thing for my sport. And it's like people from everyone, the best actors, the best business people, the best this and that, want to be the best and they want to be recognized and want to be known for not just one movie, only known for their entire career. Who, if you could call one actor, and I, it's a little bit different because there's so many legends, but one that sticks to you, I'm just interested. Uh, Let me say it at the same time. Three, two, one. Denzel Leonardo Washington? DiCaprio. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> so, Leonardo DiCaprio was probably one of the best. I was going to say that. Well, yeah. I was going to say my friend. He's Zach. versatile. They're both incredibly versatile. Um, just, they're going to be a generational legends. Yeah. And I think they can do so many different roles, which is why I think that fits perfectly with that. So we talked about mantra. The other thing that sticks out at me is your signature move. And, yeah. and we hear about that all the time. You see it celebratory fashion in yeah. basketball, football. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that really brands get behind. Exactly. And so, but yours came naturally because it's actually advantageous from a technical standpoint. Yes. It's, They've named it after you. Yeah. It's the Chamley Watson. So like... <laughs> We don't have, uh, to use your words, we don't have swords in here. Yeah. But like, try to be as descriptive as possible. So essentially, it's a lot of fencing's in fighting, right? So we're in close. So now if you turn your shoulder, so you have to be pretty much parallel. So now if you turn your shoulder, you're going to get a, a yellow card, which means you're covering target. So for me, we're in close. I'm able to wrap my arm around my neck and hit you here. So you're here, I'm going to whip my arm around and hit you here. Yeah, it's without like a moving, behind the back in lacrosse. Exactly, without <laughs> moving my entire body. Yeah, it's amazing. It's very... I would encourage everyone who's listening to, to pull up one of your highlights. It is like my version of behind the back or crossover or whatever. It's very useful and it is extremely demeaning when you do it, but it came naturally. I didn't think, I, I literally just came, I just did it. Yeah. Once again, it goes back to just feeling. So... That's something too. When I saw you do that lacrosse thing over the harbor, that was insane. And I was like, <laughs> "What?" And that's what I was like, "Whoa, lacrosse is sweet," you know, just from that little clip, right? But that's things that you need because brands can say, "Wow, this is something that," because that's never been done before. Well, so brands and sponsors, you reference that being a big category yeah. for you. Um, it's not just the blue chips like Nike, Red Bull, and GoPro. You yeah. have a Rolodex of partners. So I think. What does a deal look like? like? So it depends on who it's with and what it's for. So you have the deal of, say, let's say Red Bull, since we have that together. You have money every year. You have incentives, you know, and then you have product, product, which is amazing. And then you have also <laughs> projects, which is, that's or another appearances huge thing. is what, how exactly. references, yeah. Appearances, which is like you go to events, you meet great people. So without, without Red Bull, I don't know if I would have met you and become, then we call you a good friend. Yeah. So that's. That's also one of the most important things, opposed to the money, meeting these people. Yeah, the because, strategic benefits. Exactly, because I don't think I'd ever be sitting with here with you or meeting with Ian Walsh or someone here. So that's another thing. But then it's like your partners where, you know, I'm able to work with Rolls Royce on whatever, content or driving a car, having a free car whenever I want. Yeah. That's just being associated with a luxurious brand. So for me, my sport is great because I'm in a lane which no one's really in because it's a sexy sport and I'm edgy. I think that's right. I, I think so, that... Yeah, as your portfolio grows, though, yeah. you then become more of the the Miles Chandler Watson empire that's that's looking at it from a business perspective. And I think what's interesting about sponsorships is that there's significant strategic benefits that will soon change. Mm -hmm. for the, if I would argue, it already has for the alignment with you. So you look at a traditional deal. An athlete like us is giving image and likeness. If yeah. we've got great representation, great legal, great experience, and you're saying, okay, that image and likeness actually comes with approval rights, yeah. and you're giving X amount of appearances, and in return, you're getting cash compensation product. Yeah. And then now, the, the interesting part in modern athlete deals is, is media. And, and so yeah. that goes both ways. The brands ask for social media posts, mm -hmm. um, and, and then I think some sophisticated athletes and entertainers now are looking to get media support through their channels. Like one of the things that we're working on is like, hey, can you spend against my YouTube videos? Because the ROI on SEM is great, it's yeah. amazing. So there are levels of flexibility. How, how much do you roll your sleeves up on those deals or is like strategic benefits top of the list for you and priorities? You have to see what you need because 
for me, exposability and being out there is one of the most important things. So yeah. you have someone that's saying, okay, we'll give you this amount of money, but we'll use your image and posting campaigns in here. That's almost more important because if I if, say Nike posted with 45 million followers, wow. Billboard. Billboard, right? That's like, that's, so, that's almost more important than say, the amount of money because the money will come when you can leverage that with another brand. Yeah. So for me, it's, at what, time, at what point, though, is it like you say, okay, that exposure is there. Now I need to leverage for the money. Now, I mean, I think I've been able to do kind of both, but now I think my face is out there now where I'm getting recognized by people, just regular people around the world, just regular people. Just, yeah. Just follow Nike or see billboards. Like, well, that's a fencer guy. Yeah. So that's now I'm like, okay, now people are kind of starting to know me. It's like, wow, now we can get those big seven-figure deals, which is hopefully what, what yeah. happens next. Well, I, I think a, another question or often assumption that's yeah. made particularly with Olympic athletes, is that you go through these four-year swings and yep. there's this big uptick in sponsorship dollars around the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Is there a truth to that? Have you experienced it? Are you anticipating the next four years? Because I know I read stuff about Michael Phelps. Yeah. In his Olympic years, I mean, tens of millions of dollars are coming through. Yeah, so for him, it's a lot of brands. So a lot of brands, they only care if you're an Olympic athlete, they'll care about you 2001 year before the Olympics. The are huge. Right? So... They will give you so much money one year before the Olympics. But what do you do with that, that three years? And it's only generally those top guys. So Phelps gets them all, respectively, he deserves them all, honestly. Yeah, and Olympian of all time. You take like these people who are, you know, Ashley Eaton, who's the decathlon guy. You take these guys. Okay, now we're going to do for another three years. But for me, somehow, I haven't stopped since the Olympics because I'm not just an Olympic athlete, which is what separates you from everybody else. Yeah, you're invested. They only care about you. Olympics, but I'm like, no, there's three years, which is what you can use me for more. So that is very true. They do a lot of brands from schmuckers to just companies that only care about the Olympics. Yeah. That's their biggest marketing deal is the Olympics. Like Samsung, they give you phones. Yeah. The biggest thing for them is the Olympics. But I'm telling you, there's so many bigger events that aren't just the Olympics that people, you know, if you take one year, yes, but three years can add up to be more than the Olympics. Having such a large presence overseas, fencing. Lacrosse yeah. doesn't have that benefit. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, women's soccer, for instance, does, and women's basketball, huge overseas. Yeah. Are you guys starting to look at the sponsorships yep. overseas? And what do those look like? I mean, that's what you have to tap into. So I was working with Haichu Candy. Yep. That's very based in Japan because my good friend, Yuki Oda, that's his company. Okay. So, talk me, so talk, Morinaga talk to me about that. is the Mars bar of Asia. So Mars Bar owns Snickers, Twix, you know, all its companies. Yeah. Morinaga owns High Chewed to every bag of potato chips to every... Yeah, okay. Okay, and I'm like, you know what? Let's let's let, let's win that market. So I'm sponsored by Perky Jerky, which is a beer jerky company. Mm -hmm. Now we just got into 11, 1,200 7-11s in Japan. And, and you help broker that. Yeah, and I'm a part wow. of the company now. It's a big value add, man. So I'm a big company now. Yeah. Um, I didn't get paid in money. I got paid in stock. Beautiful. So I'm saying... If I can help them, honestly, for me, is make it in Asia, make it in Europe, because if you make it there, you've made it. Oh. I mean, these guys are making so much money, and you don't even know who they are here. But that's building the brand there, which eventually will come yeah. to America because I'm American. Yeah. So that makes sense. And those deals in Asia are, they okay. really understand the new sports ping pong to badminton. Those guys are famous. Yeah. Here, they couldn't care about them at all. But I'm saying, yeah. There's no difference between fencing and these boards. Yeah. So I think for me, it's next step is literally going for all the sponsors in Asia, in Europe, because they understand it. Another big uh, revenue stream for you inside of your portfolio is modeling. We, we talked about it early on. How did you start there? And I get the sense that there's a lot more upside, too, with even the traffic that you've made. Yeah. So for me, it's, I mean, I've, I've always been like, doing models as a kind of little, doing some things here and there. My mom was a big model. And then after the Olympics, you start working and we'll say, wow, like, who's this guy? Because that's, the biggest exposure is the Olympics. Everyone watches it. So they yeah. kind of saw me there. But then I was approached on the street, Ford models, you know, that's sign. I was like, no, I want to go to Penn State. I want to be an athlete. I'm into this. But then you see. So you passed on Ford modeling. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I don't I was like, I want to be an athlete. Yeah. I don't really care about that. You know, I was like. Yeah. But then I was like, wait, now there's a different lane. People yeah. see you as not just the face. Who's that? Who's also an Olympic fencer? 
always the friends who also model. So it's like, wow. And they, they cross over. So for me, it's a lot of athletes want to be models. A lot of models want to be athletes. It's a perfect crossover because brands want to work with athletes, I think. Both athletes. are good at being in front of camera. Exactly. Exactly. And I think they work so well with each other that I think I love the fashion world. You What's know, a think, deal structure for like a modeling gig? So it could be if you do a campaign, it could be anywhere from ten to 100000 And what's a campaign entail? Um, one shoot that gets rolled out across different exactly. forms of media? One, one full day that you use for you have billboards, you have social, you have 10 to 12 images. Yeah. For me, it's great because I love meeting different people yeah. and I love that world is so crazy to me. But it's so great because I get creative ideas from them. And a lot of Vera Wang, the designer, she even said, I designed my last collection off of fencing. She said that. Wow. And she's one of the best designers in the world. And a lot of designers, the, the, the Dior Fashion Week, it had fencing in it. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Yeah. And it. It's good. It's fen- a great parlay. It's perfect. So for me, it's like everywhere. I don't want to just be an athlete. I don't want to just be a model. I want to be someone who's a brand. And that's, that's the reason why I was saying David Beckham so much because he has got his foot in the door. That makes sense. And he's made H&M crossover. And I think that's something I love about him. In terms of, that's why I think I want to be like him in that aspect of, of, of a brand. Yeah. From a psychological standpoint, are you hedging more in one direction, being potentially modeling or fencing or, or performance and fencing versus the other as it relates to, you know, both can amplify your yep. sport. Exactly. So wh- which do you think is a quicker path to doing that? Modeling, just because it's a world that everyone is associated with. That's right. Just everyone loves it. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And everyone follows it. Athletes. So for me, that's just a bigger platform. But you have to understand what you're here for. So is it really difficult then to... It's very difficult. But it's like, if you do the big campaign, people, oh, Miles did win this competition. He's doing this, this, and this. Right. And I'm like, okay, but look what I'm doing for your sport. Right. So... You have people who hate you, but you have to understand it's. I think you have to be secure and being like, look, like I, I can manage both. I'm not sacrificing a yeah. workout for this shoot. Exactly, and it's like, and people don't understand that. Like, yeah. I will shoot until 12 p.m. I'll go to the gym. Like, people don't see that. And I don't need to tell them that because I know what I'm doing. So, nothing gets in the way of my workout, but I will work 180 percent to do. Both. I'll do everything I can. It's, it's very much an entrepreneur's mindset. It is. And it's like people don't see what you're doing. They see, oh, Paul's posting this, but you don't see the hard work you're doing. Right. But as long as you know that, I don't really care. What what is what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? How like how do you define it? It's it's so widely defined and even even in a way that like everyone's an entrepreneur, even within like yeah. their seat working for a massive conglomerate. Exactly. So for me it's entrepreneur is someone who's never content with just being what they're told to do, I think. So for me, it's, I want to just keep going. I want to keep, like for me, it's like, I want to just keep reinventing or doing something new. And I'm never content with just being an athlete or being a model of this. I always want to do something that's never done before. So for me, entrepreneur is just such a wide word. So it can be yeah. anything. But I think really someone who is... You're hungry. Exactly. And you're never content with just, with just this. Would you say you're intellectually curious? Oh, 100%. I think that's I, huge. I'm always right? asking questions. I'm always, yeah. I'm always like researching. I'm always reading and asking for help. Yeah, because you need that. And I'm also asking for advice more than anything. Like, I always love to hear people's, like, hearing people speak and hearing how they've got to where they are yeah. because that's important. It wasn't just like, obviously, there's people who just have it handed to them, but it's people who started out doing this and now they're here. So I love listening. And what, people are, what about your team? Is, is, is team play a role? And, and that's not. That could be, you could say, hey, my, my team within my sport or my agency, I know you and I were talking about that, or mentors. Yeah, I think it, you know, I have a team. Obviously, my Olympic team, I have good friends on that team. Um, but people don't see things how you see them. And that might cause a little bit of thing, but I see things, bigger picture. People want to be in this little circle. I'm always outside the circle. Yeah. So I never want to be the best friends. I want to be the best, best athlete. So for me, it's, I have a lot of good friends in other sports, which I think helps me because I would love to get respect from them. Oh, wow, Miles, you're doing this. Um, but also you have to see people, you know, you have to admire people, I want to say, or just pick their brain. So for me, it's, I have a lot of mentors. I have people yeah. from Nike to, that I look up to and then I ask questions to yeah. about this because 
I always love to learn. People are afraid to like listen or get advice. I think that's what people are so complacent with. What's wrong with learning or trying different methods? Yeah. What I think, what, you know? what, what entrepreneurship is to me off of the back of what you just said is being able to think about the big picture, think outside the box, like you said, but also whether it being, you know, being dynamic as also that same person being on a block and tackle and actually do, mm-hmm. which, which requires a level of intellectual curiosity, which requires know-how, investment into understanding the task and accomplishing those tasks, maybe even bringing in capital, or, or saying, hey, I'm just the big thinker, and I'm going to deploy a task force to accomplish what needs to get done on the ground, and, and who's doing that for you? For me, it's like, so you work with a lot of agencies, and like, while well, we, we have a fencer, like, what are we going to do with him? You know, it's like before I was mean, like, he's awesome, he's got a good look, but what can we do with him? And it's like, put me in a room with you, and I'll, and I'll tell you. So I have a great team from Teresa to now Carlos, everybody at IMG, at WME, who are like, wow, we've got a, what they said, a gold mine, where it's just, I'm in a different lane where I look like yeah. I could be NFL, NBA, whatever, but I'm not. There's no one else in my lane. So backing like them who have everything, they can take you to the top. Yeah. So I have a great team. And I think that's important. There's people that believe in you. because and they're on the ground pounding the pavement for you. Exactly, because yeah. I'm sure who your team is, but it's very hard to have a team that believes in you. Oh, he's offensive. Well, what can we do with him? Yeah. But like, oh, wow, we, we see this. Yep. So that's the most important thing. Well, and I, I think that me. you pump that life into people too, and, and I got that sense from you, and, yeah. and uh, you certainly pumped life in, into this show. Thanks for coming and being really open. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Thanks, buddy. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, I'll tell you what, Miles is a tremendous young talent, disrupting a sport through sponsorships, broader reach platforms through his network, and a dual career as a model. Be sure to follow him across his social media accounts. He said his favorite is Instagram. That's at mchamleywatson. Also, be the first to listen to future episodes, as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with the legendary New England Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick, or world-class tennis superstar and entrepreneur, Venus Williams, and more recently, NFLPA executive director, D. Smith, just to name a few. You can find all these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Thankfully, we're on all of them. Shout out to the crew at Digital Media. Shortcut to our show notes, athlete lists, news, and headlines, visit suitinguppodcast.com. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm actively welcoming your feedback and suggestions. Tweet at me, at Paul Rabel. Also, if there are any sports influencers you think I should be going after, let me know. We're outbounding every day. It's early days. I promise I'll respond to all queries and look forward to talking to you next week. 